This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day. This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures, with another edition of our Digital Leadership Podcast Series. Today, I'm greatly pleased to have Michael Anderson, the CEO of Expedo Wireless, join us. Expedo is a platform solution which simplifies how enterprises connect and manage industrial IoT applications, devices, and data. Michael's past experience spans executive roles in high-growth communications, high technology and smart energy companies. Prior to Expedo, Michael was president and CEO of Networked Energy Services, or NES, a global smart energy leader. Before NES, Michael was SVP and general manager of Echelon, the original IoT company, now Adesto. He also was president of Telcordia's, now Ericsson, next-gen OSS business. Michael completed the Criminal Justice Fellowship at Georgetown University Law Center and earned a bachelor's degree from the University of Washington. Uh, He's also an avid outdoors person and plans on swimming the English Channel with his son. Uh, At least uh, he was up until it was postponed by, uh, by COVID, so hopefully that'll happen soon. So, Michael, welcome to the Momenta Partners podcast. Thanks so much, Ken, and, and thanks for that uh, great intro. It's wonderful to be here with you today. And it's uh, it's great to have you as well. So let's start a little bit with your really professional journey. I was uh, impressed by your background and the number of companies that you've, you've worked at. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how it has informed really your views of digital industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think like most people, perhaps their beginning is a little bit of an accident. Um, like you said, I was uh, in the, uh, I guess, the the footsteps of, of Atticus Finch or Clarence Darrow, you know, going to be the world's, you know, ne- next big attorney. But after a stint in D.C., um, you know, my idealism, you know, got a little bit, uh, let's say a little bit uh, changed or shifted. And um, I ended up with a uh, a college uh, colleague getting talked into joining uh, a company called AT&T, which at the time we knew as the phone company. As a matter of fact, when I joined, my my mother and grandmother, you know, were uh, looking for free phone service. And um, actually one of the nuns at uh, a Catholic school that I was associated with, you know, would have me come over and fix her answering machine. Um, but I actually joined AT&T at a time that was just post-divestiture and really starting to introduce competition um, into the U.S. system. And so um, I had the opportunity. This was a time when they actually would send you back to Cincinnati to learn about, you know, all the SS7 switching and all sorts of technical things that, frankly, are obsolete now. But it was just amazing to me um, how we could just interconnect all the people and things in this world and at AT&T, you know, I had an opportunity with, with a global leader to be exposed to a lot of things. Uh, I got involved uh, a little bit in the acquisition of Macaw Cellular, uh, which was the first big uh, push into wireless. You know, we rolled out services like Frame Relay um, and, you know, ATM. 
and frankly, I got so excited and inspired, you know, it led to actually leaving AT&T, you know, frankly, on the upswing to, to start a, a fiber optic startup at the time called GST Telecommunications. And this was started about the time of Metropolitan Fiber Systems and, you know, uh, Jim Crow and Andy Lipman and lots of uh, names that I think are recognized now as some of the pioneers of uh, what we would call the modern communications and technology systems. But we built out fiber networks throughout the Western United States and, you know, started to uh, get involved in these things called the May points, you know, May Central, May West for this uh, crazy thing called the Internet that had come out of the University of Michigan. Um, and I just was like a, a kid in a candy store. It seemed like every day new things were happening, new applications, new inventions, uh, things getting connected. Uh, and it was just, it was like the, the gold rush. Um, and I never imagined I could find myself in the middle of, of so much excitement and so much transformation. And frankly, it became addicting. Um, so much so that as I, you know, took that jump off of AT&T, you know, to, uh, a startup that, uh, you know, was a broken down microwave network in the Hawaiian Islands. And we had grown over a few years to build fiber networks. I then had the inspiration in my driveway to start an Internet company, um, more focused on business services and, and hosting and hosted database services. And, um, you know, sold sold the stock there and, and uh, grew and, and sold that company. Uh, that company was called Big Planet. Um, and after a few kind of additional stints, um, a friend had called me that was helping um, to get this new wireless technology in Europe launch called 3G, uh, working with a company called Hutchison 3G. And they were having a challenge trying to create a real-time authorization engine for these content gateways. If you recall 3G, the real promise of that was person-to-person -person video. And the idea in Europe was when your favorite soccer team, let's say in the UK, were to score a goal, you know, they'd see that in your profile and you'd pay four or five pence at the time to actually see a replay of that goal on your phone. And that content gateway, the authorization, you know, the token exchange, the real-time settlement um, was was really, really challenging. And so uh, a company called ADC at in Minneapolis had basically acquired some software assets. Um, and together with, with ADC and Cisco, I actually came in initially as a contractor to help construct that solution. Uh, and we ended up rolling that out, and it was so successful, we actually turned it into a company that became the real first real-time authorization and, and billing company or charging company at the time. And we were real, real successful um, in, in the marketplace, not only in terms of telecom with, with you know, deals with Deutsche Telekom and Reliance, but also Yahoo and, and other sorts of, you know, crazy names at the time. Um, and that was really invigorating, and we grew that business. Um, and then I ended up getting called over to a company called Telcordia that was really recognized. It was Telcordia was the original Bellcord and come up with all the software systems, you know, frankly, not only in the United States, but also globally to really drive all the what we call the back office systems, you know, OSS and BSS, which is basically your physical and logical inventory of, of assets that you use to provision services and you know, uh, and, and eventually bill for those. Um, and that company had 
had some great technology and just wonderfully brilliant people, but the technology was a little bit tired. And so together with the team, we we kind of refreshed that and thought about not only about real-time authorization and billing, but really getting into the network, both on the wireless and the wireline side, and thinking about real-time policy management and services and, let's say, authorizations of, of network as transactions as opposed to the just these fixed duration things um, with basically the advent of, of IP switching and a lot of exciting things coming out of Cisco and Juniper and uh, Cascade and, and frankly companies that you know I, I could mention but we may not all recognize today. Um, and uh, that ended up being just a, a fabulous adventure to create some of the most modern policy managed systems, IMS systems. Um, and again, we were lucky enough uh, to be able to communicate our value proposition and drive some some really interesting outcomes for a lot of well-known global carriers. And um, and then uh, I ended up uh, getting intrigued as we were kind of moving down the road of of uh, transitioning Telcordia to be a business for Ericsson uh, to get involved in smart energy. Um, kind of with this theme of connected things and transactions and driving outcomes, you know, you tend to think of these wireless and wireline networks as just really big global things. Um, and I had never really thought of smaller control networks in the industrial space, whether it's controlling elevators or, or lighting or transformers or meters or all sorts of industrial type applications. And there was a company in Silicon Valley, a public company called Echelon, that was founded by Mark, Mike Markala, who was actually uh, the guy that wrote the check to Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak um, to, get, to get Apple going. And he had come up with this idea of a simple binary control network, really just kind of having on off on you know, a, a switch you know, controlled by software where we communicated over the power line. Um, and so his friend, Ken Oshman, I uh, had just finished kind of selling um, a company called Rome. Uh, for those of us who remember Rome, uh, Ken was the O in Rome and, and the CEO of the company. But uh, Mike being really kind of um, busy with Apple asked Ken to take the helm at Echelon. And they had really grown that business to really get uh, that Echelon technology in about 300 million devices globally. Uh, I mean, I'm talking... Actually, the in the Louvre, you know, it was Echelon Technology that took the Mona Lisa down at night. It was the the lighting um, on the Eiffel Tower, train braking systems, etc. And uh, Ken and the company had actually gotten with a company over in Europe called Anel and created the world's first smart meter using this um, Echelon technology, but also communicating over the power line without getting too technical. You know, you go back to physics 101 when you're communicating over the power line and you have some really good sensing technology, there's a lot you can tell about the grid in terms of its technical efficiency and other relevant conditions where, you know, Anel at this time could actually take a lot of action uh, to create a lot of energy efficiency and, and frankly, just some technical robustness to their grid. Uh, so we, uh, I was able to join them really coming off of that echelon high with, uh, with Anel where we had created the world's first smart meter. And we were, you know, rolled out about 40 million of those throughout Europe. And um, 
Unfortunately, uh, Ken uh, Oshman, who was just a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, just a, the, the warmest guy, the most brilliant guy, self-made through Rice University in Stanford, he ended up getting sick and, and passed away. Uh, and so kind of in the, in the joie de vivre of, of Ken Oshman, uh, I had talked with the board of Echelon, and it became apropos to spin off that smart energy business into a business called Networked Energy Services that I led and moved to Europe. And we really got focused on smart energy and modernization and transformation of the grid and renewables. And uh, we're able to uh, help Denmark get to uh, actually, I guess, carbon negative and uh, some fantastic projects in in Finland and in Sweden and in Poland and uh, in Norway. It was just a real exciting time with Europe embracing really uh, uh, this this opportunity to decrease uh, the use of fossil fuels and to to move towards a grid context uh, you know frankly to create the the visibility and the opportunity uh, to take action so um, that was a great adventure for me but unfortunately being uh, you know an American guy and having my family in the US, I was, uh, you know, after about five years in Europe, um, had uh, gotten back to the U.S. and was involved in some really interesting projects. And then I got called by this uh, fabulous company called Expedo that I, I think somebody actually invented in a laboratory with my background. I mean, it was the culmination of communications and, and internet and smart energy and connected things. It was like, you know, this, I guess there were, if there for the ghosts of my career past, it would become Expedo. And, uh, you know, it was the ability, frankly, to, to leverage a lot of tr traditional communication standards uh, together with modern IoT and, and, uh, and what I would call edge computing and containerization, really to create an enterprise-first opportunity uh, for businesses to, to very easily and affordably and securely uh, at scale uh, connect um, and run their IoT devices really to accelerate their their industry 4.0 or, or digital strategies you know by what name and I've been there now um, you know we'll be coming up on a year at the end of the summer and it's just been a, a tremendous opportunity we're doing uh, great good for, uh, you know all of our customers and, and driving great outcomes and, and a lot of innovation to come so kind of long-winded there Ken in terms of my journey so apologize for that so hopefully it gives you a little insight. Oh, absolutely. You've got a phenomenal background. I uh, kind of reminiscent of, uh, uh, let's, I'll call it the Forrest Gump syndrome in, in the sense that uh, for all of the key events that made up this industry, somehow you were there. <laughs> either, 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 either a participant or actually uh, one of the invisible guiding hands. So very impressive uh, background in there. A lot of people don't know about the background of Echelon. I love the fact that you refer to it as the original IoT company. I first got exposed in, say, early 90s when I was with Wonderware, and we were looking at, if you will, kind of new um, networking technologies that are out there. At the time, you know, Fieldbus was quite popular in the in factory automation, and so looking at the equivalent in, um, you know, non-factory applications and such. So, really impressive company. Um, Tell me a little bit about you know the work you did there, and more importantly, what were some of the key learnings coming out of that? Because it seems like a, a lot of low-power wide area and even cellular technologies these days do take a uh, uh, some learnings from uh, from the Echelon experience. Yeah, you know that's it, a great question. I'll I'll come back to you know there's there's 
at Echelon, we have the, the Ashmanisms and the Markalaisms, right? And one of the Markalaisms at the beginning of the company in terms of his, his vision for the future is like, hey, if we could create this chip for about a buck, right, that we could embed into every electrical device on the planet um, and basically create this very simple binary software interface, you know, we could just, you know, create vast and vast amount of applications. Um, and so at Echelon, there was always this pressure, you know, this very positive pressure um, to get things better, faster, cheaper, because we knew if we did that, we could make it much easier for our chips to get in, embedded in these devices. Um, now, we never hit a buck. As a matter of fact, I, I think we got near a buck just about the time that uh, I, I left there. Um, but it was really, really incredible when you started to think about everyday processes um, and how just creating uh, even the slightest bit of, of automation could could make things better. Um, and the I think that, you know, some of the key, you know, takeaways um, there was a. I, you know, for those of us that that uh, watch Saturday Night Live, you know, there used to be this skit that got really popular um, about, um, you know, basically just, you know, adding something to everything. And at Echelon, you know, to to make things, you know, very simple, we just really wanted to add connectivity and automation to everything. Um, and that just became, to me, this inspiration um, about really connectivity uh, becoming that essential fuel uh, to really create a digital society. Because if you can connect to something, especially something that has computing power, you know, then we're going to have the ability to, you know, create, uh, let, let's say, a simple interrogation that to that device, really to understand its state and what it's doing. And then if we can, you know, connect and then we can understand what a device is doing you know, through some of the simple data uh, that it's generating, then we can actually take, you know, algorithms and, and AI and analytics and think about how we can create just slight improvements over millions of transactions and, you know, fundamentally uh, create sustainable efficiencies across, you know, energy, computing, supply chain, uh, you know, crop yields, et cetera. And, and that just became, again, this, this daily um, wonderment of Echelon. And we had, you know, roughly, you know, five or 6,000 partners worldwide, all thinking about interesting use cases and ways to apply our technology um, that really just inspired, you know, us to continue to add, uh, you know, whether it was more computing power, whether it was, you know, getting our, our you know, firmware footprint smaller so we could get into smaller devices um, it was just a, an, an extraordinary uh, adventure and, and just wonderful to see a lot of our applications come to life and, and add value. So you took probably what was one of the most interesting use cases for that, and that is smart metering. Um, any low-power wide area technology usually shoots the smart metering as one of the first applications just because of the you know the vast uh, size of it. Um, and I, I think at the time, uh, you hit almost 40 million smart meters globally. What were some of the key challenges you faced uh, deploying this first-of-a-kind global network? Well, I, th I think that... Um uh, you know, I think first of all, it was it was cultural. 
Um, you know, we have to keep in mind that especially, you know, in Europe, the United States, really all over, um, the notion was that this this energy, this electricity um, is just forever. There is plentiful. There was there was no bottom. Um, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, when we actually created electricity and, and, and built what is frankly still the modern grid, um, it was basically designed on a per household basis to, uh, you know, maybe power a, a couple of lights. Right. And that was about it. But then we've had an explosion of these computing devices at the home of, you know, the the air conditioners and the heaters and the refrigerators and multiple lights and all sorts of different screens in rooms. Um, and that coupled with the fact that, you know, we do not have endless energy and there are things that we can do just through shifting of, of how we're using the load uh, to creating incentives that you use the load at different times, basically to, to use more energy as opposed to wasting it. And so um, from a smart meter perspective, you know, we, we were able to, with, with Echelon's technology, actually put, you know, not only a meter that could, you know, read your usage of electricity and transmit that, but more importantly, actually create a, a load control uh, device, you know, for, you know, the first chapters of demand response. Uh, the utility for the first time could create time of use pricing, you know, which would be, you know, incentives, let's say, you know, like we talked about the the power happy hour to do your laundry at seven or eight o'clock at night as opposed to five or six during peak times. Um, and, and even, you know, we talk about load control. We had done a, a white paper about staggering the teapots, you know, in, in England um, by a few, you know, uh, microseconds, you know, during the hours of, of, of high tea time. And, you know, we could cut the peak load of the grid by, you know, up to 12 to 13 percent which is all efficiency and all good for the environment. So um, all those value propositions were there and they were clear. Um, but as I, I used to joke, you know, how many um, psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? And, you know, you know many audiences would guess four or five. And, and the answer is, is one, but the light bulb has got to want to change. And when you think <laughs> about, uh, you know, the utility industry, we've been doing things um, the same way for a lot of time, which is not to mean that it's not a brilliant invention or, or not innovative, but sometimes to adopt new paths and business processes and technology takes time. Um, but at Echelon, we, you know, we went on about a, you know, really a 15-year, you know, journey with smart metering, with, with creating it and deploying it and getting the success stories out there and really using those success stories and outcomes um, together with a lot of the regulatory, you know, incentives and frankly, uh, uh, this new responsibility from a societal point of view to, to be efficient and to realize that this energy is not going to last forever and that we have to use what we have much more efficiently. Um, and that's, you know, I think that was, uh, that was really uh, a key part of me for this, this thing just called a smart meter, um, and all the different applications that we could create on that in terms of analytics and, and load control and, and gateways to, to water meters and the gas meters. And um, it was just, uh, again, kind of a kid in the candy store coming in and, and innovating every day and thinking about what great outcomes we could, we could uh, 
generate for the end customer, even if small, you know, we always used to think that small things multiplied by a billion can can grow into big things. And quite frankly, I think that's uh, the way we have to look at IoT and Industry 4.0 is that if we can really get these applications out there and just start to think about, you know, the the scale of, of millions and billions of, of little pieces of efficiency or automation, you know, over the course of days, you know, weeks, months, and years, we can we can really, you know, do some good. So, you know, starting small and 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 scaling fast can lead to lead to great and wonderful things. Mm. So we probably are going to title this podcast uh, "Stealing a Term That uh, Expedo Is Using Called Next Working," which I think is great, absolutely wonderful term, and it pretty much describes almost your trajectory in terms of each step along the way you've driven the next generation of networking. Um, you had mentioned, and so look, many times there's a backstory toward our podcast. And so in full transparency to our listening audience, Momenta Ventures is an early investor in Expedo. So we are thrilled to have Michael uh, leading uh, Expedo as of October of last year. Um, Michael, what um, what really led you to Expedo? And, and maybe you provide a little background on what they do and some of the key use cases and solutions you're providing in that space. Well, what, what really led me to Expedo is, you know, we have got, we're, we're kind of at this nexus of, you know, what I would call, I'm going to call it 5G, I guess, as a label in, in that together with, with IoT and cloud computing, where we're bringing together really the essential ingredients uh, to enable uh, the digital transformation of society. Um, and while these technologies are, are plentiful, you know, they're, uh, you can go find vendors, um, you know, we are seeing competition and innovation uh, that is driving what I would say, uh, you know, the prices to be, to be affordable. Um, but they're still, you know, fairly difficult when you think about, you know, wireless connectivity and you think about, uh, you know, data um, and, you think about just stitching these things together into applications that, frankly, the enterprise, the business, where we can see a lot of wonderful outcomes that are going to be very meaningful for those businesses and, you know, the consumers and, and the businesses that, that they uh, interact with every day, uh, there is potentially um, a, a high cost of integration. There's, you know, the human capital that you have to bring together. Uh, and then frankly, you know, both the, the capital expenditures and ongoing OPEX of really implementing and, and running those new digital strategies. And so when you think about Expedo and we think about next working, we have this, this, this vision and, and really, again, back to this daily mission of trying to make it really, really simple and affordable, yet secure and scalable for these businesses to be able to roll out their IoT applications, which is, again, that combination of, of connectivity um, and, and leveraging these cloud and, and edge resources to, to be able to extract and compute this data and, frankly, to take real-time action. Um, and while you know, we're, we're very respectful of both the, the public carriers that have built these wonderful and vast and ubiquitous wireless networks, as well as the ability now to deploy 
you know, private LTE networks and CBRS networks, and in Europe, the 450 megahertz networks, you know, we really wanted to create an infrastructure that allowed a business, you know, frankly, to take all of these networks that they had available to them and really integrate them into a single seamless network uh, using some some really special technology where we have, you know, containerized a lot of the core, what I would say, network control functions um, and, and routing and QoS functions um, such that uh, we basically stitch these things together and provide the end customer really a control panel, as, or as some people like to say, that, that single cockpit or pane of glass where that network appears as if it's just a single network and they can actually um, extend their own existing IT network, IP addresses, security, et cetera, to be able to deploy devices and frankly configure them later using our technology. So while, while it perhaps is a little bit simplistic, if you think about you know sending uh, an IoT device across town to your factory or you know from Detroit to, to Sydney or, or, or Beijing, uh, for the end customer using the Expedo next working platform, they can frankly you know be up in hours and deploy devices as you know quickly as, as FedEx will enable them. And then, frankly, because it's an extension of their network with their IP addressing, they end up with that data path control such that they can leverage those distributed edge and computing assets from you know, Azure and Amazon and Google and, and private clouds to be able to very easily in, interrogate and collect these, you know, this, this wonderful data that these IoT sensors are grabbing and to apply, you know, these these modern AI and analytics tools, you know, frankly, to take action and make things better. Um, and and that's our application, and it's and it's wonderful, and it's modern, and it's simple, and it's elegant. And we're seeing, you know, our customers deploy, you know, healthcare applications, uh, you know, in terms of modern triage. We're seeing, you know. Uh, Companies deploy, you know, compressor panels as a as a service. You know, autonomous vehicles that are easily going between public and private networks. Uh, but because of our technologies, it's seamless, and we're away from multiple SIM cards and multiple interfaces and having multiple, you know, carry relationships to just a single relationship with Expedo, so the business can focus on what's most meaningful to them. And that's, that's driving business outcomes with our next working platform. Mm, all very powerful uh, features. What originally attracted us to the company was uh, secure communications and things like uh, oil field or oil and gas pipeline monitoring as an example. We uh, very strong early use cases around highly secure uh, applications. So beyond the ease of use you've talked about and certainly the heterogeneity, if you will, of uh, networking, that security is a, a strong piece as well. You call this an Enterprise first service framework. Say a little bit more about that, and let's talk about some of the the more industrial use cases that you're uh, that you're working on as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, well, today when we when we think about um, how we might let's say leverage um, uh, a public network carrier uh, for let's say our IoT connectivity, uh, we we typically are approaching them. We're we're getting a SIM card and we're getting a portal. Uh, to be able to activate that SIM card. 
but it really is, you know, it's almost like launching a, a boat from the harbor, right? We, we get our SIM card, we put it in our device, and we're hoping for that carrier captain, you know, we're doing business with uh, to pick the right path and, and to take that device where it needs to go and, frankly, to bring us back information. But when you think about an enterprise, especially, you know, in, in the case of Industry 4.0 or IoT, th these are not hobbies. I mean, these are mission-critical devices, like you said, Ken. I mean, this could be, uh, you know, a compressor. This could be uh, a pressure sensor, you know, on a pipeline. This is where if things go wrong, you know, it can have, you know, uh, dire, uh, you know, business uh, consequences, could have, you know, safety consequences. Um, and on the positive side, you know, we really need for things to go right. Um, and so if, if you're an enterprise and we talk about enterprise first, you want to have real-time visibility to these sensors, um, you know, to the conditions, to the data. And quite frankly, um, you don't want to play trust me on security. You know, you want to be able to deploy your own end-to-end -end security as if these devices were within, you know, your corporate IT network. Uh, because again, you know, seconds matter, milliseconds matter, um, and and these are mission critical applications where outcomes can really make the difference in terms of you know, the health and safety of, of, of your employees, as well as, you know, the success of your day-to-day -day business operations. So with Enterprise First, you know, our single pane of glass is an absolutely, you know, real-time picture into, you know, these networks of, of IoT devices where uh, the enterprise has the ability to see status. Um, they have the ability to create additional network slices now. I mean, if you can imagine with these IoT devices and all the firmware upgrades, you know, which is wonderful for new features, but the frequency of those is great because these are new devices. But as a, as a business, I don't want to just blindly put firmware upgrades out there into production. Uh, you can create a, a, a slice right within, you know, that single seamless piece of, of bandwidth that you're using globally to be able to, you know, apply firmware upgrades, to be able to test end-to-end, -to, -end, to be able to ensure that security is sacrosanct, you know, before you're deploying those back into production. You know, you can decide, let's say, to uh, uh, prioritize quality of service on certain segments of the network for those mission-critical applications. Uh, perhaps if you see a security breach, you have the opportunity to move devices into a quarantine slice to ensure that nothing else gets infected. So it really is about having your hands on the instruments in a, in a real-time view globally to what's going on. That's, that's what we mean by enterprise first. Excellent. So what does the future hold for Expedo? You've, uh, you've had almost a, a year there. Where do you see things trending toward? Well, where we're really trending is, you know, quite frankly, we're very focused in, in the energy and industrial um, verticals, and we're continuing to see just absolutely wonderful use cases and outcomes uh, that, that really is driving a lot of growth. And, and despite the headwinds that this COVID pandemic has caused in the energy industry, it really has 
let's say, both affirmed and created a, a new urgency, if you will, for more and more automation, for, um, you know, for more efficiency, uh, giving some of those challenges. And quite frankly, um, with uh, a sector of our economy that is very used to deploying capital and let's say high OPEX, the fact that, you know, Expedo can come in and help them very quickly and efficiently without CapEx and very predictable OPEX uh, start to deploy these things is very good. Uh, we're continuing to see a, a lot of wonderful applications in, in industrial, uh, you know, factory automation, you know, surveillance on, on actually down to, uh, you know, yields within the manufacturing process, you know, automated inventory management, you know, with robotics applications. I mean, we're, we're actually able uh, from a computing point of view to be able to drop in on an edge box um, and a, a client can have a CBRS, you know, network up and running, you know, within, uh, you know, hours in a factory. And then they start to have that ubiquitous, fast, uh, you know, highly propagated bandwidth that they need. Uh, the other thing we're starting to see, Ken, is, is really a lot of neat healthcare applications. I think that this COVID pandemic has really created a new urgency uh, to think about people and how we protect them, but also uh, that, that, that really do not deter, you know, the quality of care. Uh, so we've actually just uh, uh, become a part of this, this uh, wonderful application we'll announce in a few weeks where Expedo is enabling um, secure channels of connectivity, you know, not only for uh, the robots themselves, but actually uh, subnet uh, channels for actually each patient uh, for an application where the robot is actually doing initial triage of a patient uh, to protect healthcare workers from potential infections and, and, and obviously that, that spreading. So, you know, where we're going is, you know, I think in the, in the word of, of Will Rogers, you know, we, we never met uh, an IoT application or the potential of a digital transformation that we didn't like because we're so simple um, and fast yet secure and reliable. You know, we, we have the ability to think of ourselves as really uh, digital fuel or, you know, uh, industry 4.0 fuel that we can very easily get to businesses uh, to help them, you know, quickly deploy and sustain um, a lot of valuable outcomes. So we're just going to continue to work with our partners globally that are in various sectors uh, to get Expedo next working in the hands of businesses and to make sure that their customer experience from the very time they they touch the application through to deployment and operation is absolutely fabulous, and then just continue. Uh, to, to merchandise and, and, and sound these wonderful success stories from the mountaintops so that we can hopefully uh, just be a small bit of help as we, we look to make things, you know, uh, more efficient and, and more automated and, and really to create better experiences um, for all of those uh, people consuming all of these things around the world. Excellent. So I love that industry 4.0 fuel, or we like to call it digital industry fuel. So uh, in closing, we always have two questions we like to ask. Number one um, is uh, any startups that beyond Expedo, of course, that you would say are the ones to watch in this space? 
you know, I, I think it's such a, again, it's such a great time to be alive, right? There's so much technology, but I, as you said at the beginning, I'm a, an outdoors person. I just love the outdoors, the, the ocean, the lakes, uh, the green, and um, I'm all about technologies that, that really can help preserve that for, you know, my children and their children and generations to come. So there's uh, uh, some hydrogen fuel and storage startups that I, I think are are just wonderful. If you think about how much, uh, let, let's say, carbon or pollution that, you know, uh, a lot of the, the diesel engines, you know, cause, you know, whether they be railway or, or, or you know, large marine vessels. So I think that, you know, the, the Golden Gate zero emission, uh, you know, business out of, of Oakland is, is just doing some wonderful things as we think about, you know, hydrogen fueled uh, you know, marine vessels on on the oceans. Uh, Innovate, which is a, a spin out of uh, Stanford, that's doing some wonderful hydrogen uh, storage technology. Uh, and I also think that the quantum uh, computing realm, uh, the ability, you know, for us, let's say in a positive way, you know, to use computing technology to find that that uh, that shortest or that better path first, and to start to really process this data, whether it be healthcare, you know, for finding a cure, or just just better ways. So I think that um, uh, there's like Zapata and and Xanadu and and lots of you know neat, wonderful companies that are you know doing dare to be great and and doing some great uh, uh, automation. And and I also think healthcare. Um, AI. I think some of the imaging technology from from some uh, subtle medicine and AI chronic. I mean, you think about assisting these radiologists and you know able to find things much faster, so we can save lives and improve quality of life, as well as you know some of the early catches of these chronic conditions, so we can apply what I would say proactive medicines to save people into getting into chronic conditions and and. And can you know have them uh, have a quality of life with lot of it without expensive healthcare? I mean, that's all. That's all wonderful stuff to me. Obviously, all powered by Expedo, uh, but uh, of course, those are the neat companies I like. Yeah, it, go, it goes without saying. So, final question: what uh, what inspires you in terms of books, resources, etc.? You'd like to share with our listening audience? Well, you know, it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, we do this technical stuff all day, and and everybody has to have. Um, their vices, um, but I actually love to, uh, you know, sit down with like a, a great spy novel, you know, John Le Carr, you know, Tinker T- Taylor, Soldier Spy, I reread, uh, you know, the, the Hemingways, the Vonnegut's, I, I think the things that uh, kind of make you laugh and, and get you actually kind of relaxed are kind of, uh, are kind of my candy, if you will, uh, and all the wonderful, you know, music, I think from, from the past, there's, uh, uh, I think kind of that that fun French music. We uh, we watched an outdoor movie uh, at the house uh, called Midnight in Paris, and uh, I love some of that 1920s, 30s, you know, kind of music. But I, I you know, I, I guess I'm disappointing that I'm not, you know, reading, you know, the latest and greatest uh, human uh, genome technologies, et cetera. But uh, I'm a sucker for the classics. <laughs> well, and it's good to have balance, my friend. And uh, you certainly are the uh, the, the Renaissance man uh, in terms of all the work you've uh, you've done. So, this has been Michael Anderson, CEO of uh, Expedo, and if I may, uh, Mister Next Work uh, Working, if you will. And uh, so, it's been a real pleasure, Michael, having you on our Digital Leadership Podcast Series today. 
I thank you, Ken, and thank Momenta, and uh, I shall wear uh, your new label uh, with pride, and uh, I'll, I'll send you, you know, perhaps next working uh, new new T-shirt here quickly. I love it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Michael, and uh, thank you all listening audience for joining us today. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.